your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to Lacrosse Talk PM on Monday. John Havlicek is in with us. He's the Lacrosse Schools Teachers Union president and a Central High School, longtime Central High School uh Spanish teacher. Now, John, how many how many years are we at? Like thirty years? Twenty <laughs> Almost, years? Thirty two? Twenty three. Twenty three. Okay. I just I finished know. up. Twenty three years. Um, <laughs> now, how is it? Like praise? Just like thank goodness the the year is over. We can move, and then three months from now, I'll just kind of like start. Like it'll feel like a whole reset, and then maybe the school year will be normal again. Yeah, hopefully. You know, I, I think. Um, I don't think anybody came out of this saying, man, that was great. Um, really enjoyed that. But, you know, you do the best you can and you move on and you kind of reset and, uh, you know, gear up for next year. Anything. I mean, you, you can come out of the school year and go, yeah, that wasn't great. But did you did you did anyone? I mean, you can you can always say we, we probably learned some things with online teaching, but anything like really, really like awesome that comes out of this like crap experience of a COVID pandemic? Uh, you know, I think we really upped our tech game quite honestly. Um, the, the, the tech folks in terms of, you know, behind the scenes really did a great job. And I think we really learned a lot about how to, to connect with more folks, with more students, with more parents and things like that. I can give you one just really quick example. You know, parent-teacher conferences um, have been on the decline for in terms of attendance and stuff like that mm-hmm. uh, for probably decades. And the parents you do see tend to be the ones who's like, yep, your kid's getting an A in every class. They want to hear that. Thanks for coming in. Yeah. Um, they just want to be hear the reinforcement of how great their child is, right? Which <laughs> right. is, hey, don't blame them. No, no, and I do want to see those parents. Um, and, I, and I do want to talk to those parents. But I also want to see a lot of other folks and other folks for various reasons have trouble getting in. Mm-hmm. So what we really started doing was video, like teleconferencing, video parent-teacher conference. And I think that's something that I hope we keep to say, well, we're going to block off this amount of time. Um, maybe it's one day, of, you know, four hours or something where I can schedule videos with folks. Or even if it's one hour each of the days that we have conferences that, yeah, you can't make it because you've got work, or childcare, or whatever. Yeah, we can do this Zoom over your phone. Does that make how you much know? how much harder does that make a, a teacher's live? Because let's say I'm a parent, you have your like quote unquote office hours for for parent teacher conferences. I would say, but be like, well, that's not going to work for me. But you know, tomorrow at like ten thirty a.m., how about that? <laughs> and then you as a teacher would be like, well, that's my day off, or you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's summer, and I'm not. But actually, I probably could. But you know, like yeah. so, I don't know. Like, I feel like maybe a lot of parents make, might have the teachers cater to them a little bit more because, eh, just turn on your computer. What's what's the yeah. big deal? Yeah, I mean, there's always been a little bit of that, and so I, I wouldn't anticipate that that would explode because mm-hmm. there's always been a little bit of it. Like, you know, I work second shift, so I can't come in. You know, no problem, Mister or Mrs. So and So. We'll take care of that. You know, um, can we do it on my prep hour tomorrow? Can we do it over lunch real quickly? Or, mm-hmm. you know, because there's other what about levels. What about this now? We'll do it on your break while you're at work. 
<laughs> you just turn your phone on. <laughs> it's yeah. just the work. You know, it probably yeah. could. I bet you that I bet you that has happened before. Oh, sure. Someone's got a half hour break. I mean, those those they just grab their phone and those they... conferences probably don't take that long, uh, especially with yeah. the good kids. Maybe with the bad kids. Uh, <laughs> do you lose a little something though with uh, with it being on? I mean, you must lose a little bit with yeah. it being online. Yeah, it, it's not the same. It's not the same. It's just not. It's you know, did you want to go to the Packer game or did you want to watch it on television? It's just not quite the same. Actually, I kind of want to watch it on TV now, <laughs> <Yeah. I don't, laughs> which is what a lot of parents probably say. Actually, I don't want to go see you, John. I'd rather yeah. just zoom in. Yeah. Um, 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. It's John Havlicek. He's the student uh, lacrosse schools teachers union president, uh, teachers, uh, Spanish teacher. What What is your like official title besides Spanish teacher, but with the with the union? You know, there's a different name to it, right? Yeah, we, we call ourselves the Lacrosse Education Association. Okay, and you're the president and the of president. that? And then um, do you have the power to change that to czar so you can be the czar of that or not? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no, no. That would take a that would take a, like a vote amongst the board maybe or something? Yeah, well, you know, we vote, and I'm one of those, like, I, I win all these elections because no one else runs. Yeah. It's everybody else, you know, everyone take a step backward, and I'm the one who didn't. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of like that. Um, how, how much of your time, time does, does the, a job like that take? How, how tough is it? Um, you know, it's, it's maybe, oh, it's maybe three to 500 hours a year. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of it's in the summer too. You know, it's, it's mostly just, just members that, that they have a question. They're like, not sure on how this is working. And, and so then they, they give me a call Mm -hmm. and it's working with administration to say, well, you know. Here's the teacher's perspective on this this initiative, perhaps, or even this kind of internal change in terms of moving classrooms or things like that. And it's also sometimes the big things, you know. And I think we might talk a little bit later about about uh, things related to systemic racism, and and we talk about those types of things too. And so it's um, it's one of those things that. Uh, the more you do, the more there is to do. And then the more, the better you're at it, then the more people that are going to come with the question. <laughs> you, you must have more underlings. You know, go go talk to Vicky about that and Sam about that. I don't know. Like, they're yeah. the experts on that one. Um, nobody wants to get too close because then you're always asking for their help. Um, all right. We're going to take a quick break. Brad's got the due to the news. We'll continue. A couple of things we want to talk about. Uh, is is the budget the the school the state budget when it comes to funding schools? Um, John mentioned systemic racism. Everyone probably like what we're going to talk, you know. And then I think we can get into uh, the fight over critical race theory and whether there is an actual fight there, maybe, or if it's just a trigger word to get everyone, uh, you know, f fighting. I think I think maybe there's something to that. Uh, get get everyone fighting more, I think maybe might be the better phrase there. But um, all right, we'll be back. Brad's got to do the news. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line if you want to get in here. I'm your host, Rick Solom. John Havlicek is in with me. He's the Lacrosse Schools Teachers Union president. He's a Spanish teacher, so if anyone wants to quiz him on anything Spanish, go ahead, call me up, throw some Spanish at him. Uh, I, I don't care. I, I only know like La Biblioteca and, uh, you know, the main the main words, uh, maybe up to 10. I can count. Um, I want to talk about this budget a little bit, the state budget. But before I do that, there is a story online and it's it just has to do with 
minimum wage. I, th- I thought I'd get it out there, John, because I think maybe this is kind of up your alley, but a, a hospitality group in Eau Claire has eliminated tipping in, in their in their group. So they're like ho- restaurants, hotels, uh, stuff like that. They're just a group of businesses. Um, I, Pablo Group is what it's called. So they're they're eliminating tipping, and they're increasing their minimum wage to $16 an hour. And uh, including health plan and a 401k and all that, all that good stuff. Um, something that I think, uh, I don't know if we could pull that off here. I don't think, I don't know if we have a hospitality group, but I've, I've talked in the past about, Hey, uh, mayor Cabot at the time, uh, could you raise the minimum wage in lacrosse? And he said, no, that's something the state would have to do. Uh, but we haven't even, you know, it's something that just gets thrown Yeah, We're not even talking. It's kind of like legalizing marijuana. We're not even going to talk about that when it comes to this, you know, the budget with uh, funding K through 12 schools where we have to talk about that one. But raising the minimum wage, that just gets thrown out the window. We don't want to do that because if we if we eliminate it from the conversation, then at least nobody could get pissed at us one way or the other about it. Um, but what do you think, uh, just, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, uh, for one, the, the minimum wage for tipped workers is $2.33 an hour. And uh, it just makes the the average person who goes out to eat end up and ends up having to fund the, the wages to make up for the difference that maybe the business fails to, you know, to make a profit on, on in higher workers and pay them a minimum wage. Um, uh, 16 is 16 too high for something like that. You think it'll fail? No, I, I don't think that's too high at all. I think that, that we have to look at how we're already kind of invisibly subsidizing these workers anyway. Right. I mean, somebody who's making, let's just say seven fifty an hour or eight bucks an hour can't live on that. So then, then even if they're not in a tipped uh, industry, they can't live on that. So we're subsidizing them with rent subsidies and utility subsidies and food subsidies, as it is. And so I'd rather see them just get a decent wage, get a living wage. And, you know, we were talking uh, during the break a little bit about this is why the Walton family are just multi-multi-billionaires. And so in essence, even though I haven't shopped at Walmart maybe three times in the last 10 years, I'm still putting money into the Walton family uh, treasury through taxes. Yeah, because essentially their <laughs> workers make so little there, a lot of their workers, that they have to apply for things like food stamps. And, right. and we're, they're just offsetting their yes. ability to, to pay. So, I mean, it's, it's a little trick that everyone gets. And I just don't know why we can't we can't do this across the board. Um, you know, and, and I think there is a, there is a, probably a conversation where 16 an hour is probably pretty okay here and 16 an hour in San Francisco is probably not even enough, not not enough. Um, if you, well, maybe you hung up, Joe was calling it. Um, it just, it, yeah, I think, uh, I think maybe, you know, a federal minimum wage sweeping across the nation, uh, you know, the minimum would probably be way too little at some, you know, if you go 15 an hour, I think probably 15 is probably the baseline. I think that's probably good across the board. I, you know, I feel, can, can the minimum wage, uh, devastate a business, uh, in, in any part of the country where if it was at 15 an hour, I mean, I don't live, you know, the yeah. cost of living here is, is getting, is pretty low, but I'm sure there's other places in the country where it's ridiculously low. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, again, I'm, I, I'm a Spanish teacher, right? But I see the effects of the working poor. I see the effects of working in poverty every day mm-hmm. with my students who, who don't have enough groceries at home, who don't have adequate clothing, stuff that it's like, really? Like, yikes. My parents would have thrown that stuff out. 
but that's what they've got. That's all they've got. Um, yeah, a big indicator. They don't have transportation. It, well, it happened right now during this pandemic. How many kids don't have access to Wi-Fi at home? Yeah. How many kids don't have a device? Um, well, we're, we have we have a group here in La Crosse paying school lunches, and it's called the Beer by Bike Brigade. <laughs> like a thing called Beer by Bike Brigade is paying off school school lunch mm-hmm. debt. All over, all over, not just the city. Like they're yeah. in Holman doing this. I know they did yes. that last year in Holman. Uh, uh, probably quite a few schools in La Crosse. Uh, and the absurdity that we need like a crowdsourced funding <laughs> to pay for kids' school lunches instead of just adding that. Can we add that to the school? But is that part of the school budget when we talk about funding K through twelve schools and at the state legislature? Um, you know, they get. I mean, they do get some federal subsidies uh, for that, so they get some money coming in, and then they sell lunches. You know, um, so they get some revenue there. But, yeah, there's there's a talk in a lot of places about going to universal, like, free breakfast and lunch mm-hmm. for students. Yeah. How, I mean, we're it, it, what for, it's one thing to educate your kids and argue about how much we suspend there. Um, it shouldn't even be an argue, argument <laughs> about feeding the kids. Yeah. And, and if you don't want your kids to get school, lunch, or breakfast – because you want to feed them yourselves, then I'm sure that you could do that. Um, the, when it comes to the state budget, uh, the legislature and Governor Evers are, are kind of fighting about how much funding uh, the school should get. And at, for a while there, so the, the COVID relief package that Biden signed kind of when he took over president was going to give, and we kind of learned this on the fly, and we learn it on the fly. And then once we learn it as, uh, you know, readers of the media, uh, then it seems like the state legislature reads it or the budget writing committee. It's like, oh, what did I just read on in the news? Oh, you guys, uh, apparently our school funding. So the Republicans that run the legislature and the budget writing committee, uh, the budget committee uh, at, at first weren't going to hit an earmark to allow the state to essentially it was 1.3 it was 1.3 billion at first and then they dug deeper and they found out the state was going to lose 2.3 billion dollars in federal aid if they didn't hear so uh, how ridiculously low is uh what the the budget committee is offering to k-12 through schools do you look at that do you even do you recognize that well that's a ridiculously low amount of money well yeah because you know we when we talk about the entire budget that goes to education Versus increases versus this, that, and the other thing, right? So there are a lot of different numbers that we can talk about. Yeah. But a very easy way to talk about it is if we look at what schools spent, you know, statewide pre-pandemic, right? And what what this these ESSER funding, this federal money says, is that you have to spend at least as much as the average of, I think it was 2017, 18, and 19. So... Basically, the federal government said, okay, states, what, are, what did you spend on schools right before the pandemic? If you spend at least that much, not more, but as much, then you qualify for this federal aid. And in the state of Wisconsin, that's a little over $2 billion. If you don't spend as much, you won't qualify for the aid. And I get it because the federal government is saying, look, we're giving you this money to spend on schools because schools had just crazy, unforeseeable costs, you know, in terms of um, buying more hotspots, you know, for kids to be able to connect from the... Are those the quick trip hotspots to feed the kids? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> no, the internet hotspots <laughs> okay. for kids to get Wi-Fi at home. 
to pay for uh, connection services, to pay for all these different things, to pay for more mental health, pay for more student support services, all these things that there's just no way. This pandemic was such an abrupt, like, earthquake. And so the schools had to suck up all those costs. Is it one of those things, too, where this this billion-dollar federal money comes into fruition where like, hey, we've been ne- neglecting schools for so long. Uh, you guys hit this this average of, it's almost like a franchise tag, the average of the last three years. Yeah. The NFL has the franchise tag. Yeah, so Aaron yeah. Rodgers is going to be franchise tag, and he's going to be the average of the top three quarterbacks pay uh, last right. year. So the, the, the last three years, the state budget before the pandemic is the average, but we're not even hitting that. So we're going to figure out a way to hit that without actually hitting it. And then we'll yep. get this two point three billion in, in federal aid. That two point three billion is be like, it, it, it will be, will that take over all the things that were maybe put on the back burner that that have been neglected from schools for so long, or at least like, yeah, no, is no, no, that's the problem because that two point three billion is not an ongoing commitment from from the feds. Yeah, it's a one that's time. a one time infusion. So, you know, uh, you hit some financial problems and you have to dip into your savings or do whatever, or borrow money from somebody else or whatever it is. That's not because you can't afford that's just your gonna, monthly bills. That's all just going to catch you up from what you had to do during a yes. pandemic. And yes. there won't be anything left over or you don't. You, no. Prob- no. Okay. No. I mean, some of it is staffing, but it's short-term staffing, mm-hmm. you know, two years. Uh, some of it is, is technology. Some of it is, is safety and sanitation upgrades. Um, things of this nature, because what we found out. Well, was that's that, what I'm saying is that stuff you're going to catch up on because oh, at, at, at least yes. in that regard, you can catch, yes. you know, but then, you know, five years from now, you'll have to catch up again because all that stuff will need Correct. to be Eventually, updated. That again. has to be budgeted. Yeah. yeah. Um, Joe, if you got your headphones, Joe's calling in. Sure. Uh, we'll get to Joe here in a minute. Joe, go ahead. You're on the air. Hey, when you guys were talking about tipping, no tipping model. Yeah. From what I've been understanding, why that's not working is it's it's great for cooks, it's great for entry level managers, but the servers actually hate it because they're making less than what they would be on gratuity, and uh, it's fine. Restaurants are finding it hard to keep servers, so maybe what they should do is let servers go back to gratuity, pay the cooks what they're actually worth, and then. Uh, pay managers based on how the store does. Okay. I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess at certain bars and certain bars and maybe certain restaurants, there were where waitresses and, and bartenders work. They're probably getting pretty good on tips and this would, that would, would hurt them. They could probably opt out. Maybe <laughs> can we opt out of the thing? I don't know. Um, we, we, I, t- I did talk to a business. It's, it was called the fat porcupine, I think. And, and they were going to go to a no tipping model and then just, you know, raise, prices on the menu a little bit to make up for the difference that the you know waitresses and waiters work but i think that what's going on in eau claire is this this group understands that their bartenders and waitresses aren't making uh 100k a year on tips so that that as a group so i mean it makes sense uh you know joe has a pretty good argument there too um all right we got to get scott's comment coming up brad gonna do the news one more time we'll continue with john havlicek the lacrosse schools let's see here Union president. There we go. We'll be back. All right. Welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. John Havlicek. Let's do this. The Lacrosse Education Association president. 
uh, I, I've been I've been saying teachers union president because or the 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 school union president because it's just easier to say it doesn't it, it it's teachers and then some a little yeah. bit so it's not even just the teachers union. Um, but we were just talking about this, so I'll throw this at you on the air. Is just how bad is uh, just how, uh, let's just focus on lacrosse. Just is there a teacher shortage in lacrosse, and is it is it pretty bad? And and do we like what what happens when there's not enough teachers? Yeah, it is hard. It's really hard because you know. For, for any number of reasons, we could talk economic reasons, we could talk public perception reasons, we could talk all sorts of things, um, political reasons, but the number of candidates has been going down. The number of, of people going into education has been going down. The job stresses have been going up. And so what we end up with is that every year for the last five years, we've been hiring people within two or three days of starting the school year. So we're talking late August. August 28, August 29, um, we've had people... Because you're holding out as long as humanly possible before before hiring? Is that... No. 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 We just don't have the applicants. Okay. Or the applicants don't have the qualifications. Yeah. And so, you know, like kind of what we were talking about, someone might be a very good writer or a very good communicator or might be a a chemist. That's a start. Yeah. That's kind of half of it of what you need to teach high school. Um, but you know, I have a degree in Spanish and I have kind of a second degree in education. It's like a double major. Yeah. Um, and then that doesn't even get into teaching like first grade. Yeah. Cause right? if you're, <laughs> if you're just fluent in Spanish, let's say something, I mean, there's all kinds of people fluent in Spanish sure. and they come to the lacrosse schools and go, Hey, I want to teach Spanish. And you'd be like, well, do you know how to teach Spanish? And be like, yeah. well, no. <laughs> so there's a whole right. aspect of that. Yeah, and that's and- with everything. Hey, I'm, I'm a great chemist. Well, do you know how to teach chemistry? Well, no, I if, imagine just light the Bunsen burner and, and, and you know, and blow up mount, <laughs> yes. foam mountains and whatnot. So, um, but, and then, so, so there is, so a, there is a teacher shortage in lacrosse and everywhere. It seems, is it everywhere yes. or is it Wisconsin? No, it's, it's across the country. Mm-hmm. It's across the country. Does that, does that, if that happens, do class sizes then get bigger in lacrosse or do you, do you eventually yeah. just hire the teachers that well, maybe are bare minimum qualified? Yeah, I mean, it's some of both. You know, class sizes get bigger, um, services get cut, people get repurposed. When, you know, we really needed uh, a teacher uh, to do job X, um, we just don't offer program X anymore. Mm -hmm. And then that person is shifted into another classroom or whatever the case may be. Um, And when you get to the big cities like Milwaukee, I would bet any day during the school year – a big district like Milwaukee probably has, it wouldn't surprise me if they have 50 to 100 unfilled positions during the school year. What happens? <laughs> it's just, I don't get it. I just like, and then all, all you kids go to the next classroom and then you have 50 kids to teach the next, yeah, the I next mean, They teacher. try to cover it in house. They get long-term subs. They, Bernie Sanders said this a while ago. Uh, minimum, we'll just go teacher minimum wage. I think he said sixty or seventy k. Would that solve the problem? If minimum wage was seventy, like a minimum starting salary yeah. for a teacher, seventy k. Would that start? Would that be a well, start? <laughs> it, it would be nice. Yeah. Um, that's not going to solve the problem because we don't have the people that are. We don't have all these teachers in the pipeline that are just thinking. No, I choose to do something else. I mean, there's some of those, yeah. um, but there's not as many as you might think. Um, and the ones that that teach for a while and then decide teaching is not for them, simply raising the, 
you would get a lot of those people. They're not going to come back. I don't. Yeah. They wouldn't. So so there's just not the the pool to draw from. Yeah, and then give just giving uh, somebody with experience because I think Wisconsin did this a little bit. They alleviated the uh, ability to have some sort of education. Education. Uh, you, if you have the experience, you can become a teacher. Um, you know, but the, but uh, that doesn't quite solve all the issues. If you raise the minimum wage to seventy, to, or the starting wage of a teacher to seventy k, uh, and then just let those people start, they would probably only last maybe a school year before they'd be out and be like, "Wow, seventy k actually might not be." I, I don't love this. <laughs> yeah, and then the, it, and then the schools are just in that same bind, right? Yeah, because it's not in the end. Like you have to pay people a fair wage. And if you read some of these books like uh, Drive 2.0 by Daniel Pink, it talks about, like, you have to pay people a wage so that the wage isn't the issue. Once you pay them the wage so that the wage isn't the issue, then people will do what they want to do, do what they are kind of emotionally and mentally wired into doing. And so just raising the wage won't change their their wiring, their, their mo- emotional or mental wiring, so that now they want to be a teacher or, or be a carpenter or, or work at a radio station. You know I mean? That, that doesn't change that. So what you hear, what I'm hearing is the teacher's union president says, keep the starting, keep teachers pay around 40 K a year uh, and, and leave it at that. That is specifically not what you heard. That's funny. That's funny. Um, uh, Gary's calling in here. I put him on Gary. Go ahead. You're on with John. Well, I just want to say, first of all, John, thanks for what you do. I've, I've met, I was, uh, a member of the Alumni Association for years, so I've known, I've known John a long time, so thanks for what you do. My opinion, what has hurt the teaching more than anything, obviously, is Act 10. That's my opinion. I think a lot of people just aren't going into it. And the one question I guess I want to ask, John, it's probably above your pay grade, but I've been hearing a rumor, and I'm just curious if you've heard anything at the school about Logan and Central sometime in, down the road within X amount of years are going to be combined. Is that true? You know, I haven't heard anything that specific. I know that the district for a number of years has been looking at facilities. Um, and, you know, is there a way to become more efficient, uh, a way to improve services and things of that nature? I have not heard anything okay. specific that there is a timeline to go from two high schools to one or anything like that. Okay. I was just curious. Well, anyway, again, John, thank you for everything you do. You're uh I don't think people realize that during Thanksgiving you go out and you collect money and you take care of a lot of families in need, so God bless you. Thank you. Do you, during Halloween, go out and collect candy, too? Is that what you do? No. Well, you know, it's <laughs> ironic you asked that. Um, a few years ago, we yep, started doing uh, trick or cam. And so what trick we, or what? Trick or cam. Okay. So what we had was we had our sports teams, our clubs, anybody who wanted to participate go out on Halloween. Yeah. And they all had central apparel and a letter so that people didn't think this was just a bunch of weird yeah, high school yeah, yeah. kids. And um, and they collected non-perishable food items. Okay. And we run a food shelf out of central. Uh, well, they hit the jackpot when they hit that lady that's giving away toothbrushes then, right? Because like, that's <laughs> yeah. a kind of a non-perishable, right? Yes. Well, and so, so we have a thing at central, and most of the schools do. And um, obviously, we didn't do it this fall. The, two years ago, um, we collected about 3,000 items in about an hour. And then what do, what do you do with that stuff? Um, so we a lot of it goes to our own at Central High School food shelf called La Cocina. Yep. And uh, give a quick shout-out to Sheila Workus and Lisa Colburn, who have kind of taken that over. Um, and a lot of it then went up to um, 
the Hunger Task Force. Uh, libertarian guy texted in here. Let me see. He texted in a lot, so I'm just going to try to find out where he started because we talk about wages too. Um, let's go here. And then, uh, so it starts... I don't know if this is just backwards. Let's just read the text in order. I got it. And then exceptionally good teachers would be paid equal to those who are exceptionally bad teachers. One size fits all. Hell with competition for excellent teachers. Hopefully you understand why. So I, I guess you know, like starting oh, minimum wage, um, you know, starting a minimum, uh, a starting salary for teachers, I say minimum wage, but like starting salary, if you, if you boosted it, then. Um, teachers wouldn't like that somehow because the good teachers would get paid as bad as it goes. Again, now you're going to be advocating for keeping it at 40K. Better be careful here. No, 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 no. So the thing is that this idea of competition, right? Competition on like, like I used to coach tennis, right? And tennis is highly competitive because it's completely honest, right? It's you against me. There's no hiding behind referees. There's no hiding behind, well, my teammate didn't play very well or the coach. Well, high school, nothing. sometimes there aren't even referees. No, it's call your own lines, right? Correct. In college, too. Yeah. Oh, in college, too. Oh, <laughs> yes. Okay. Until you get to be really big time. Well, until the, like the playoffs or something. So, yeah. Too. So, I mean, so then that's what I did. So, tennis is highly competitive. Teaching is not. Teaching and learning are not competitive. And so, like, the idea that that one teacher would compete against another teacher for some kind of score is honestly like just a bad way of looking at it. it it's not accurate. It doesn't, I mean, you know, it's like kind of like saying, well, it, you know what it is, is it's like the bachelor or the bachelorette where you've got all these contestants on this game show. Never heard competing, of it. Competing. Okay, I don't watch it. <laughs> no, I'm it. just kidding. I'm kidding. Thank the Lord. Uh, competing for this person's love to get married, blah, blah, blah. And we know that like they don't actually get married and live happily ever after and it. I don't think any of us really would think that that would work. Yeah. It's the same thing. The idea of competition within a school, between teachers, da 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 it's just, it's not, doesn't describe reality, and it, it would turn us into some kind of Lord of the Flies experiment, which is not a good thing. I mean, there's got to be some teachers in there where, where other other faculty members look and maybe like, man, that teacher is just, and they roll their eyes. I don't know, maybe well, some of that. I mean, certainly, but the idea is that like, I don't necessarily know what goes on in your classroom. And everything contributes. So then, like, if you have this kind of, like, quirky personality and you're the guy who always wears these funky colored ties and you're telling these really weird pun jokes and stuff, that helps you relate to kids, that contributes. Even though I might look at it and roll my eyes. Somebody else is very straight and narrow, very serious. Okay, that contributes. That some kids relate to that really well. Um, who am I to judge? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So there's 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 like multiple correct answers, or multiple ways to get to the correct answer. What about uh, I, I I read the I don't know where I read this. It just maybe it was just a meme too because there's no flu uh, there's no substance to it. But uh, we have body cams on police officers. What about so to speak body cams so to speak on teachers? Like, well, how, <laughs> How would that how would, would that ruin a teaching? I don't know. I think that would be really weird. Or maybe not body cams, but maybe just a camera in the classroom. Yeah, you know, I think that would be really weird. I think that would stifle a lot. Um, you think about how many of us don't like having our picture taken um, or are just self-conscious. You know, even me sitting here on radio. Well, you, right? you're looking at a screen right here, and it's it's yeah. kind of unnerving. But um, so I think that would be I think that would be very 
stifling. How many spitballs would hit the camera? <laughs> yeah, right. Right, because right. the kids would the, the kids would probably start to be distracted by a camera in the classroom yeah. too. You'd oh, very to, much. And then it's not like you could do it without telling the kids because nope. that would be illegal yeah. and really weird. Well, and it <laughs> would stifle re- discussion. Right. You know, kind of going back to some of the things that we were talking about earlier. Um, you have to have free flowing discussion at times. Yeah, I mean, the, every time I you get into the like whole being in the classroom and then the Zoom classroom, I think back to uh, being in college classes where there's 100 people. Like, I'm never talking in those classes because I don't want to be singled out. But on a Zoom class, I'd be like, hell, if I if I had a question or, or knew the answer to something, I might speak up because I don't feel all the eyes on me. So uh, to have a camera on me, too, would be a little bit uh, odd. All right, we got to take one more quick break. We'll be back. All right, welcome back to the Cross Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. John Havlicek, the Lacrosse Education Association president, is in here with me. I haven't made a Boston Celtics joke in the whole hour. I'm very proud of myself. And it's the playoffs, John. It's the playoffs. Uh, but the Boston got eliminated in the first round. Uh, a couple of you are holding. Just hold tight here. I uh, want to talk about critical race theory a little bit. Uh, me and William Garcia, the Democratic Party chair of La Crosse County, did a podcast on this the other day. If you want to go to wisdomnews.com slash podcast or look up Democratic Voice Podcast, uh, wherever you do that, wherever you do podcasts. Um, but we talk about critical race theory. But I think people, I think this the phrase is getting used now um, to, to another one of those trigger, this would be a phrase instead of a word, to, to get us uh, maybe arguing Democrats versus Republicans. And when nobody understands what critical race theory is, uh, is there a way to explain this and explain, are you teaching, quote unquote, critical race theory in schools? So, yeah, so really easily explained. It, it, this is something that started back in the 70s among legal scholars that said, look, we need to understand how does race uh, affect things like laws, legal institutions, um, our government institutions like banking and schools and all these things. Does race play a, pa- a part in that? And we have to understand that racism is not just one person being mean to another person. That There's a bigger picture here. Um, so when we talk about critical race theory, um, what we're really saying is let's open our eyes to where we've been. Let's keep our eyes open to where we are and understand um, just what's going on here And when we talk about teaching, then, what we're talking about is teaching honestly, teaching accurately um, our country's history and what we're doing right now and how our country's history affects where we are right now. So what are you telling the first graders then? (laughs) Well, you know, I don't know of any school, and and there may be some, but I, uh, I don't have any personal experience with any school that is actually to that point of, of teaching some kind of tenets of critical race theory. That's not really it. It's more like we can talk about things and be aware of the fact that race has played a part. So, like, I'll give you a quick example. When I was growing up, we heard about the Civil Rights Movement and Rosa Parks not sitting down on a bus. Mm-hmm. Okay? And the way it was taught, the way I remember it, was that she had had a hard day at work and she was tired, and so she was sitting on a bus and she was told to move, and she just was exhausted and said no. Okay. A more accurate version, though, would actually be to say, no, this was a planned thing. That this was an event that the civil rights leaders were using to push the issue. And that Rosa Parks 
uh, was uh, sympathetic. She was well-spoken. She was a leader in the civil rights movement. And so this was not just some random thing that happened one day. Yeah. Okay. We're not really changing history. This is not revisionist history. This is having a more nuanced, more informed understanding. Do you think the first graders will understand that? No, I'm just kidding. Well, I mean, that's uh, a conversation but, you have with probably Well, the first maybe... grade teacher will be able to explain that <laughs> in a way that the first grade teacher can. Yeah. I'm a high school Spanish teacher. Right. But, so the first grade teacher will be able to do that. But, I mean, I I'm just I, yeah. I just throw that out there because yeah. I'm just joking. Clearly, we're not going to go, uh, you know, a whole lot of race talk at the first grade <laughs> no, level. Maybe not. you maybe you introduce that in sixth, seventh grade at, to a degree. Sure. And then slowly get into the details because, I mean, at some point, kids are just not going to understand. And kids no. just might not have the capability of understanding that until they're in college even. Yes. Because, I mean, I'm just looking back to what I learned in high school and what I forgot from high school. And I forgot more than I've learned, I'm sure. Um, Bob's calling in. Bob, go ahead. You are on the air with John. Go ahead. Bob. Bob. Yes, hi. Go ahead. You're on. Yeah. Um, critical race theory is more than Mr. Havlicek is talking about. Um, yeah. he is, uh, critical race theory is just saying that our country, from the founding of our country till today, has been uh, was founded and still today is founded on systemic racism that the white people of a, are, are the uh, the white people are the oppressors the black people are the oppressed it's 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 so much more it's it, it's going to divide this country so bad I mean it, it mirrors our country our country is great we have a great history let's let's talk about slavery what happened but this. Critical race theory is so much more than that. It's just—it's just, it's just a, to criticize our country to make our country look terrible. We, our country, we don't have systemic racism in our country right now. We never did. All right, we never, we never did. Uh, I don't know about never did, and, and even right now, um, you got anything there? I, well, yes. Um, with all due respect, sir, yes, critical race theory is 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 more than I was saying. Um, because I was trying to keep it to a 30-second explanation. But it's not and you what do. You're you have saying. 45 seconds now, so Thank good you. luck. Um, but it's not I – would, I would disagree with, with the way you've characterized it. Um, I would say, yes, we have had systemic racism um, and still do. I can give you a really clear example. Um, in housing and banking, there was redlining where banks wouldn't loan to people who wanted to buy houses in certain sections of the neighborhood. People couldn't get loans if you were African-American. Um, another example would be the expression grandfathered. We've all heard, you know, you're grandfathered in. Um, that goes back to the Reconstruction era when southern states would allow blacks to vote if their grandfather was eligible to vote. But at that time, certainly their grandfathers had been slaves, so they were not able to vote. And those are government-sanctioned things. I think that's kind of the definition of systemic racism. Um, you, you talked about learning, uh, you know, how Rosa Parks situation on the, the bus came to be, uh, another one that I just, you know, learning about Christopher Columbus here and he, he, they came over on the three boats and the native Americans who we call Indians, uh, taught them to grow corn and it was all hunky dory. 
you know, but we, uh, and then more to that is like, well, we don't, we don't even learn like what land we, you know, was native, Amer- you know, what the native Americans called this land before where we are at, you know, what was lacrosse called before stuff like that. You can get into deeper and that's not making uh you know, that's not criticizing, you know, where we have come and where we're at as a country. That's just learning where we come from as a country. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty deep and, 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 you know, you don't, you, you don't start teaching that stuff, you know, until the kids are ready for it. And, and you might, and I don't even know how much of that stuff happens in, in the high school level. Well, well, and, and that goes back to something that we were talking about early, earlier, uh, pedagogy. You know, the, the first grade teacher understands how to teach first grade. Actually, we we have to. We're done. Oh, okay. We're we're done. The show's gonna end. Oh, I'm sorry. I uh, I got you off on a tangent, and then I have to cut you off. All right, that's all. That's all we got for today. Thanks for listening, everybody.